Welcome. You have found us. This is the Riot Underground. I am Tom Snyder, your host. This is the place where we can meet the instigators that are changing the world with disruptive technology. And we're excited to have Trish Geloso in our virtual studio today. Trish is the CEO of LifeScale Analytics. Welcome to the studio, Trish. Thanks for having me, Tom. We are uh, excited to have you on board. LifeScale, I, I love the name, first of all, because we talk about the data economy, everything's about data. And so data at LifeScale is phenomenal. Uh, is there any story behind the name? The name actually came from the founders that when they started the company in 2012, they were actually targeting the company towards a very um, boutique market, which was um, data analytics for life and environmental science. So that is where the life scale came from to kind of align with that particular market that they were trying to go after. And, and very appropriate that is, but it's also appropriate that it opens the opportunity for even bigger things. And we'll talk yeah. about that in a moment. But before we get too deep into the conversation, this is an audio program and we like to give our listeners a little bit of a visual of, of who's in the studio. And so uh, our fun question is, if you got to cast yourself in a, you know, the story of your life or the story of your company's life, who would you select and why? I think I would select Zoe Deschanel because she's a little quirky and I always think she's so entertaining. I love her in all her movies. So I, I just want to be her when I grow up. That is fantastic. <laughs> I, I love the idea of that. Uh, you know, fun yet gets a ton done. She's in everything. Uh, yeah, she is. Fun. I mean, in Elf, she was great. So yeah. I, I cannot sing like her. So that would be a, a challenge. But she's a fun person. So fun fact uh, that has nothing to do with this podcast normally. But uh, once upon a time, I was just walking to lunch and got pulled at random off the sidewalk to go into a private screening of the pilot of The New Girl before that TV show came out as a test audience and uh, watched it and uh, got to see this person that nobody had even heard of yet. I think that was, you know, one of the things that helped really break Zoe Deschanel into the Oh, it definitely did, for sure. But I mean, she's just been in a lot of different things. I'm like, what, yes, ma'am? And, and she just makes me laugh. So how could you not like Zoe Deschanel? <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I'm sure we are not going to have any laughter on today's program, but uh, <laughs> glad to have you here. So uh, yeah, give our audience a little bit of a a better feel just what LifeScale does. You talked a little bit about the origin and, and kind of the market you're addressing, but what is it that, that you do for your clients? We actually um, do data analytics, data science, geospatial solutions, and engineering solutions. I, what makes us a little unique is we're, you know, we really try to take data and make it useful. So we'll build it into something so that our clients can go ahead and get the value of it through either a geospatial solution, engineering solution, some new technology. So it's not like we're just looking at analytics and then we bail out. We want to make sure that they're getting the value out of it through the whole process. And talk to us a little bit more about what that means. Like how deeply do you need to start to really understand your customers and the problems they're working on to even know, you know how to apply what you just described. We actually, if we go through the whole process with them, we'll do a data discovery workshop because, you know, I think customers know that they have a lot of data. They just don't know what they can get out of it. And that's, you know, can go for a couple of days or go for a duration of time, depending on how much data. And then we start bringing them through what their potential use cases can be, and then start building out what could be a really good encompassing solution. Um, 
you know, it's interesting though, even with the data discovery workshop, how much of a roadmap they can get just from that short span of just working with us for a couple of days. They don't, they don't know what they don't know. So it's, you know, interesting the outcomes that we get in the feedback from the clients after we even spend a little bit of time with them with that. Are, are there certain areas where you start to recognize patterns, you know, like client to client, you realize this particular kind of flavor of data or something like is there every time or, or there's kind of some similarities and trends that you see? Um, it depends. It, across industries, we do. Um, if you're looking at like utility industries, it seems to be a lot of the same because it, it's utility space. Um, municipalities, they seem to have a little bit different flair on their data because it's based on what their constituents need and what they're feeling like they're getting from their surveys or from, you know, they're hearing from their actual communities. And if if somebody's thinking, I need to be doing this, I'm not doing this today, right? How important is it for them to have, like to have data already or to be collecting internal data versus just, is it data that can be accessed on the open market or from other sources? Um, they, there's, there's data everywhere. Like that's the thing, like we love data and we know there's data everywhere. So there's some internal data, depending on who it is, but there's also data, data they can get externally, or there's a hybrid. I mean, some of the solutions we've looked at has been external data, as well as using the data they have to go build them something that is useful. It sounds easy, but I know it's not right. Cause data comes in all different shapes, sizes, yeah. formats, and so on. How much of the work is like at that problem level and understanding the meaning and how much of it really is just plumbing? Um, there's, there's plumbing, but we have a whole bunch of data scientists that probably can go into it a lot more than me. Um, I know that they make it look easy, but I suspect it's probably not. So. <laughs> right, right. Absolutely. Uh, and at the end of the day, it's, it's really not about the data at all, right? It's about those outcomes that you described. Exactly. And being able to get a solution that is in place that the clients actually can use and get something from for a long time. Is there a cool use case you can talk about? Any, any kind of fun examples that we might not have thought of before? Oh, gosh, there's so many. I don't think I have anything I can really put my finger on right now. It's tough because sometimes they're all under non-disclosure anyway. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's quite all right. Um, let's switch tracks a little bit. I'm interested uh, to hear a little bit about, about your journey, right? You're, uh, you're CEO now of a, a large and growing analytics company that's moving into more and more markets. Um, kind of, what was your journey? How did you get to where you are today? How did I become CEO? That's an interesting story. Um, I actually have a career in the federal government. I worked for the United States Postal Service for about 20 years, on and off as a contractor and also a federal employee. My background there was actually um, dealing with contracts. So completely different than where I am today. I decided to go ahead and explore, figured it was time to get out of public sector and see what the real world was like. And I did that transition about six years ago. I had no idea what the real world was like when I did that. It was, it was shocking, but it was definitely gratifying. I had some really good opportunities with some other previous companies that taught me a lot. And this opportunity came up with LifeScale. They were in need of a CEO and I happened to be available and it was just the right fit at the right time. So um, if you look at my background, it's definitely not what you would expect because I definitely have more of a legal um, IT background, 
but it's definitely aligned well and gave me a lot of skills along the way to be able to do what I'm doing. It's fantastic. And it's, it's so encouraging to see examples like that because, you know, skills should translate horizontally into different mm-hmm. industries, into different application areas. And, and we see that, you know, no more clearly than in this, this internet of things and data analytics space yeah. that, you know, machine learning is machine learning. You can apply it to lots of different use cases. Oh, totally. Yeah. Uh, and accounting is accounting and legal is legal and so on uh-huh. and so on. So as someone who has come from kind of a different industry into this industry, you bring a lot of skills, but there are other expertise areas and, and things that, that are needed within the organization. And you need to have a really core team around you that complements your, your, your skills. And what, what's your kind of philosophy around team building and around the sharing of, of information and, and the building of trust all work together? Wow. So when I started, I think we had nine employees and I started right when the pandemic hit. Um, It was March of 2020, my first CEO gig ever, really excited. And I'm coming to the Charlotte airport, just, you know, finally got offered the job, had the first um, briefing with the other leadership people. And the pandemic pretty much was announced when I'm in Charlotte on my way back to Florida. And then the whole world shuts down. So it's been an interesting journey to um, you know, have to deal with the nine employees that we had across the board and be able to grow a company to about 25 today over the two years. A lot of that has to do with a lot of communication. I actually spend time reaching out to the employees myself across the board. Um, you know, I've been in most of their hiring decisions, even though they may not report to me directly, but I have pretty much interviewed everybody at this company. Um, I have spent a lot of time having lunch and learns. We do that every month and we continue to do it. We have a product innovation meeting for anybody to join. That is something that is if the employees have ideas that they want to bring to the table, we try to support them to see if it's something we can develop. We do that every two weeks. We spend time doing a lot of training. We just bought a new training tool to expand their skill sets. I, I definitely want to make sure that everybody's thriving at this company and they get what they need to do their job, but then to also grow into whatever they want to grow into. And that's been our, a lot of our philosophy. There's not anybody at this employee, this company that doesn't have access to me. And I just reach out just to say hi sometimes. And I think that's really important with the current state that we're in to make sure that we have open communication everywhere. And I don't want to ever be in a position where we're not communicating. It's, it's important to me that everybody knows where we're at, what, what the direction is of the company and that everybody's got what they need to be able to support that. My style pre-pandemic had always been kind of management by walking around and, mm-hmm. and just doing drop-ins and checking in and, and that, you know, that became more difficult. What, what are the, the communication tools that you have found to be the most effective for, for keeping that kind of ongoing relationship and dialogue with your team? Uh, we moved to Teams. We were originally using like Google Hangout. Now we're used Teams. Um, yeah. But we do a lot of chats and, you know, just a lot of, you know, Teams interactions. And I mean, we pick up the phone. I mean, the phone is still great. It still works. I think it's underutilized. You know, I, I have a pretty much a standard rule. If I get too many chats from the same person in a row, I will definitely call them. So there is something to be said about personal contact, even if it is just checking in. Absolutely. And it enables us now to, you know, 
prospect talent from anywhere in the world and not have to be in the yeah. office together and so on, which is great. Yeah, I am a huge advocate of remote workforce. So, you know, we made it work. Uh, you know, 2020, we've grown to where we are today and all of our people work remote. I mean, I'm running a company in Florida. I don't have an office. I work out of my house and, you know, we're still thriving. So there's, um, you know, it, it's changed the way that we look at things, but I think there's a lot to be said about communication. I love what you said a moment ago that every two weeks you give an opportunity to solicit kind of feedback and ideas and inputs and innovation mm -hmm. from the team. Can you give an example of something that maybe, you know, came, came from the team that you've now implemented? Oh yeah, we actually, um, so it's a product innovation team. It was definitely something we spun up during the pandemic because we wanted to start looking at being more product centric. And we wanted to give everybody an opportunity to be able to see if they have something that's innovative that they want to go ahead and look at doing. Um, they have to do a business case. I mean, it's not like we just go ahead and say, let's go do this. I mean, there has to be a justified reason. And some things have worked and some things haven't, but we try to find some money within our budget to at least support things that can move forward. One of those things that did actually get um, developed, and it, it, I'm really proud of the team that's been working on this, especially the director of engineering, Theo Lofner. He had an idea with one of our other colleagues to go look at putting a sensor technology together to monitor energy fluctuation so, um, and to be able to monitor some other things. So what you can do is if you have like rental properties, and you like a, a beach rentals where there's constantly a flux of people, you could put this device and plug it into the wall. It's called PropFit. And it actually will monitor, you know, what the energy is, if it's too hot, too cold. If somebody, you know, has lights on in the house, it's got a lot of different things through a sensor. It goes back to a dashboarding solution and can give like the facility manager an idea of, oh, the air conditioning's out because we're seeing the thing like suddenly go up too high or somebody smoking in the house and they're not supposed to be smoking. So we can go over and tell the renter to not do that. You know, so it's, it's really a great innovative idea that came from something that seems like a casual conversation that we've actually been able to develop and we're starting to sell. It's really interesting because it, it means in some way you're now running two companies. You have a services organization that's mm -hmm. doing a lot of your traditional services uh, work and, you know, with analytics and insights and then you've got a product. How, yeah. how, uh, how have you had to, to manage those or, or do they just fit together really nicely? They, they're fitting together very nicely, but I have to cross that bridge when the product gets bigger. So okay, <laughs> haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, fantastic. Well, for any of you who are listening that want to try it out, uh, where can they check you out and maybe uh, get a hold of some prop fits? It is on our website. All they have to do is email us. Um, we're still in proof of concept stage, but you know, we definitely have been able to start selling it to many, um, you know, to expanding the footprint of how, how we're getting it out to people. Absolutely. And do, do you think from this then that you'll see more and more kind of products coming out in the future? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, we have some other things that we're looking at right now. Profit's probably the biggest success that we've had from the innovation team. Um, one of the things that we were able to develop that really, you know, is something that we've kept as part of the product innovation team, but we've not really have sold or, or done much with because we haven't seen the market was it's called an at-risk at tree model where we're able to actually look at trees to see where they're at risk 
of being, you know, broken, or they could potentially be a hazard. And it's great for people who have like parks, like municipalities, because in this way, they can see that view from a park perspective, and then be able to do any kind of mitigation before a tree might fall on somebody. That's fantastic. It's, it, I guess it's a vision technology of some kind. Yeah, it's a geospatial solution. So right. it's done with, um, I think, some drone technology as well as what we can get through the satellite imagery. Yeah. So you mentioned geospatial a couple of times early on. Mm-hmm. Um, did that really start with satellite imagery or do you do other areas? Give us a little bit more detail on kind of what you mean by geospatial solutions. So the geospatial solutions actually was a spinoff because of data. Data naturally flows into something and it was just a natural attrition for the company. This happened prior to me joining LSA. So it's just been something that was definitely going through, you know, its lifespan here prior to me. Um, It is a lot to do with data, a lot to do with satellite imagery, a lot to do with just the integration of both. And it's basically, you know, trying to make it useful with a visual imagery to, to be able to pinpoint things. Um, you know, some things that I, I know LSA has been involved with previously and still is, is like vegetation management with geospatial solutions, being able to see where there's certain, you know, vegetation that is being intrusive to a particular area and then putting risk mitigation in place by looking at chemicals that could possibly kill it as a solution. Yeah, it's fantastic. We had worked with a company a number of years ago that uh, was helping optimize like grazing patterns and moving, uh, uh, you know, big groups of uh, animals around and, yeah. and was using thermal imaging to understanding like as soon as there is a fever in a large group of animals, how to get the mm-hmm. one animal out before it infected the rest. There's so many really, really interesting And and all of that is data driven. So it's just taking imagery and then looking at data and data patterns and being able to fade it into something that becomes useful, which is where we're actually at. It's right in your sweet spot. That's, Mm -hmm. uh, that's really, really cool. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the future. Like, what are you really excited about right now? What are, what are new capabilities that are coming around the corner? Hey, so I'm really excited about, you know, probably brokering more into machine learning and AI. That's definitely been something that everybody, it's been buzzwords for a while, but to actually start seeing it and coming to fruition, it's been really kind of neat to see that. Um, You know, that's probably where a lot of the direction is that we're really focused. Do you think that we're reaching a point of real productivity? You know, I, I feel like there's this point in the AI uh, journey where suddenly every company was an AI company, right? And some of them it were, is. a marketing it's, it's, term, but uh-huh. you know, kind of where are we in the maturity of AI, would you say? I think that it's buzz terms still. Um, I don't know if everybody knows exactly what it means. There's, you know, machine learning is modeling at that point. And it's, I don't think we're anywhere near the maturity or, or people who are going to embrace it. There's probably a lot of reluctance right now. I mean, you think about you're, you're around the same age as me, Tom. Think about Big Brother in 1984 and how that was scary. So that's where we're at. Yep. <laughs> that's actually happening. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. That's yeah. And I mean, it's definitely, um, you know, it's interesting to have read the book, but now to actually see it and then seeing the adaptability of, you know, even our generation and older, it's been kind of interesting. It, it really is. W- what do you think is like, what's the next hurdle to clear you know what when you look at your ability to maybe serve your customers 
and there's like a, a pain point in your ability to, you know, is it is it getting data fast enough? Is it processing it at scale? Like what, what do you think is one of the big hurdles that we need to still solve? I think there's companies out there that are cutting edge with dealing with large data sets that can deal with like ML and AI at this point. I just think they're new to the market. And then there's a lot of old companies that are trying to adapt to it. We, we have, there's a ton of data out there. It's just trying to get it to churn fast enough is really kind of been the problem. And, you know, and getting companies to either adapt to the new technologies and move to it, that's been a big hurdle too. Uh-huh. Well, and, think- you know, and, and data in the cloud. Uh, there's a lot of companies who are just not willing to do that either. So there's a big maturity around it and moving data to the cloud, but there's still a bit of a reluctance. I mean, people made large investments in having these data centers and they're just not willing to, you know, move at this point. Yeah. Do you see data becoming more transient as we're making faster and faster decisions and therefore maybe we don't need quite the cloud storage or uh, some of the data center uh, resources because we're doing more at the edge? Like, do you see any kind of changes there? Um, me personally, probably not. Um, I'm sure if you talk to some of my colleagues, I'm sure they'll give you some more information on that. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Um, what has you most excited right now? Um, ending this podcast. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of our best answers we've ever had. We can't edit that out. Let me ask. I'm I'm excited about the direction the company's going. I'm excited about our new relationship with Riot. I think that there's a lot there that I was unaware of until we actually started having these conversations. So, you know, and I think that there's a lot that, um, you know, is just going on in our future. I uh, appreciate that. First of all, we're excited to be working with you as well and and look forward to having you in the studio more times to hear more stories as you go forward. Uh, As we start to wrap things up, here, um, what's you know maybe a key takeaway that you would hope our audience would take you know f- from our conversation or from some of the things that you do or things that kind of you're seeing in the in the market right now? I think that it's just data is everywhere, and you know there's so much that could be valued with data, and you know just to be cognizant of that. And I mean, data is being produced when you're walking down the street. Everybody's kind of watching that. But it's like, it's amazing how much value you can get from it. I am a believer. I maybe was a believer already. I won't say you converted me because I probably drink drink the same Kool-Aid that you do. But uh, (laughs) thanks so much for being on the show. For those who want to learn more about Trish's view of data and the world, it's Trish Geloso at LifeScale Analytics. Uh, You can... Find them online and on the Riot Underground. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Tom. Hi, y'all. Caroline Griffin here. Dropping in to say thanks for listening. And if you have any questions for Riot, send me a note. You may reach me at caroline at riot.org. This Riot Underground podcast is created and produced by Riot Studios with music by Scott Jackson. Riot is a nonprofit focused on economic development through the Internet of Things or IoT. We produce events, conferences, and educational courses around the world. And we run an early stage startup accelerator out of Riot Labs in Raleigh, North Carolina. Our nonprofit also operates a wireless test and certification facility 
under the Wireless Research Center brand. Learn how to engage by visiting us at riot.org.